Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. The reason that I got into this business was to have more time with my family. And so in order to do that, I had to streamline my process much more. And I needed a platform that was much more automated. I needed a team that could run my website without me. And so I decided to make that investment. And it was all behind the scenes. Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. So today's guest is Kelly Stevens. Kelly Stevens is the owner, the mastermind behind private practice pro. I first came across Kelly on Instagram, which uh, will feature heavily in our conversation because she really has built her business on Instagram and uh, saw her on Instagram. She had this like big following and I was like, who is this? Like, and so the first time I talked to her, I asked her, where did you come from? Who who have you worked with? Like, who did you learn from? And she was kind of like, I don't know. I kind of came out of nowhere. So Kelly has in the last couple years, three years, two years, really gotten a lot of traction on Instagram with her content as the private practice pro, um, where she teaches therapists how to start up their private practices. She describes in one course, she described to me off mic, is really about taking people from the idea, the dream of starting a practice until that first session that they have. And today, Kelly and I get into the topic of investing and taking risks in your business. Uh, If you're listening and you're either starting off in private practice, or you already have a private practice and you're thinking about expanding beyond it. Um, My conversation with Kelly today, we get into the emotional experience of making, you know, big and financial investments, uh, how to think about financial investments, when it's the right time to make financial investments and the things that she spent money on her business versus what I've spent money on in my business, which are actually quite different things um, and why we've made those decisions for ourselves. So this is a good episode to listen to if you find yourself kind of wondering when to spend money or finding it hard to spend money. If you have a hard time spending money on your business 
this is going to be a good episode to get you thinking about what is really worth spending money on for you and what is not. Here's my conversation with Kelly Stevens. So Kelly, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be back. I feel like we just were together. <laughs> Maybe a year ago. It was a little while ago. Yeah. yeah it was a time while. Is, time is flying. And I also think, you know, things have evolved and there's been a lot of growth for you, I think, since we last chatted as well, um, which is part of what we're going to chat about today. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So today we are going to ch- have a chat about kind of like managing risk and growth. So can you just tell folks, just to give folks a sense who are listening of your own experience, what has been like your business trajectory or growth for this business that you're in now that we're talking about now? Okay. So first of all, I feel like, you know, in podcast land, it's like you could go so in depth there, but I'm just going to give you the kind of overview. Great. I run a company now called Private Practice Pro, and we teach therapists how to open private practices through online resources. So that's like online courses, primarily workbooks, live workshops, mini courses, everything online, right? We don't have any physical products and I don't currently do any one-on-one coaching. I do some, but I'm not taking anyone right now. So it's primarily all online resources. So when I decided to launch this business, it was really different. I had launched my own private practice. I moved it to three different cities because of my husband's job. And I had experience doing marketing for a large treatment center. So I'd always been in kind of that one-to-one client model. And I thought, well, why not try to create online resources? And with that, that required me to take on some risk. So I think when you and I were talking, we're like, let's talk about risk and especially risk as it comes to money. You know, I think it's one of those things like people don't want to, you know, everyone wants to open an online course or an online platform, but no one wants to be like, well, here's how much money, you know? <laughs> yes. Let's talk about the money because that's what, yes. this is what your podcast this is. This is what the podcast is about. Yes. So the money piece then. So um, what I'm hearing is like you, you had not just like had a private practice, but kind of had a private practice three times, you know, like opening in three different cities. So you have a lot of experience. <laughs> with starting up a private practice. Yeah. I'm curious, like, first off, what has been the difference in the, let's talk about like the emotional experience of kind of the money of private practice and starting up private practices versus this like scaled online offer that you have helping therapists with their private practices? That's a good question. So yes, I do. So I've essentially opened three different private practices, even though they functioned under the same business entity, you know, it was essentially like starting over Um, because of my husband's job. We had to move. I I wouldn't have done it otherwise. (laughs) And this was prior to COVID and prior to telehealth being so predominant. The third move that I did, I saw more virtual people, but or sorry, not more virtual people, like more virtual appointments. More people virtually, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but prior to that, it was like starting a whole new client base of in-person clients. And then prior to that, I also did the marketing for a large private practice. There were about 12 of us. Yes. That was a kind of its own experience because even though we functioned as a group, it was a group practice owned by owners, everyone still needed to bring in their own clients. So mm-hmm. You know, I think I got to see really firsthand different personality types and bringing in different types of clients and how people could market themselves as introverts and as extroverts. And, you know, there's no one way to do it. 
But what I always think of private practice, and, and this is what I tell a lot of the people I work with as I help them open private practices, is there's a lot less startup than if you were going to say like open a McDonald's, for example, oh, or yes. I mean, McDonald's has a huge startup cost, right? What do they say? It's like an, a mil- an average million to start a McDonald's or whatever. Sure. I believe it. Yeah. But for private practice, you know, I think we, the beauty of our job is like, first of all, nowadays you could totally start just telehealth or you could start with an office too. And it's not like you're buying tons of dental equipment or tons of product or warehousing a ton of stuff. I mean, it's really, you are the product and you have your office, you have some malpractice insurance, you you know need a billing system and things, but the actual startup cost is very feasible without going and saying like getting a loan or a line yeah. of credit. You know, yeah. you're not necessarily going to go into debt by opening a private practice. Some people may choose to, but you don't have to. Whereas when I decided to open an online platform, I very quickly realized that there was going to be some startup cost. And when I feel like anytime you have startup cost, you say to yourself, okay, I need X amount of money to do this. And then it's like, now I need X amount of time to get to sell enough to be out of debt. And then I'm going to (laughs) start making money. Whereas in private practice, you might be profitable in your first month. You might not be, but potentially I think the get out of debt, you know, card is quicker unless you have startup money to begin with, you know? Yes. Because what I'm hearing is, you know, your experience is that that online online platform had a lot more expenses associated. So I'm I'm curious for you, like what have some of those expenses been? Yeah. The money you had to put in before you could even start selling the thing to make you money back. So, okay. So I, I thought it would be really helpful just to break down the actual numbers because I, I really wish when I had started out, actually somebody did do this for me, but I talked to plenty of people that were like, you're going to need some money. And it's like, like some okay, money. but like how much, <laughs> you know? So my original estimate, when I said to myself, okay, I'm going to create one online course, that's mm-hmm. it. And I'm going to market it through Instagram and a website. Mm-hmm. My original estimate when I first started was 20,000 US dollars. I ended up spending about 40. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I think I could have done it for 20 had yeah. I not tried to do it so quickly. Right. So yeah. when it comes to online business, there are things where you can choose to DIY or you can choose to outsource. So for example, filming an online course, right? You might choose to film your first online course on Zoom and use PowerPoint slides, or you might hire a professional video team and have them film it. There's no one right way to do that, right? I've taken some online courses that are filmed on Zoom and PowerPoint and they're great. Honestly, maybe better than some of the ones I've seen that are professionally shot because sure. the presenter's less nervous. And yes. I'm actually yes. a new online course right now from home and I've had courses professionally shot. And I think the one that I'm shooting from home is better. Mm-hmm. But for example, when I shot my first online course, I did choose to have it professionally shot. And that alone cost me $9,000. And it turned out beautiful. And I wanted that first kind of flagship yes. course to turn out beautifully. But there's, so you're going to make choices along the way. You know, another choice would be, am I going to hire somebody to make a professional website or a professional kind of e-commerce site, or am I going to do it on my own? Certainly it's possible to do it on your own. Again, 
I chose to hire somebody. I had like a quick timeline and very quickly realized that I couldn't do that on my own in the timeline that I wanted to do it. So I chose to invest in having somebody build me a really professional website. So by the time that I launched my first course, I had spent about 40,000 and I was lucky enough that I, you know, I have a private practice and I was doing well in my private practice. So I subsidized my own. I didn't have to go out and get a loan. But that being said, I have a family, I have a mortgage, (laughs) I have a child. And so my husband and I kind of sat down and I said, okay, you know, realistically I could float 20, but then I ended up floating 40 and it was like, I really need to pay this 40 back to us as a family within a year. And Mm. why I went and decided to do it so quickly, because I was like, we can't float it more than that. You know, we have other expenses in our life that we have sure. to pay for. Yeah. But that was a huge motivator. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was like, well, even if nothing works out, even if this platform does not work, I at the minimum have to make 40000 in this next year doing this, even if I'm not profitable, which I did. It, I mean, that happened really quickly. So, yes. Yeah. You did pay it back. I did pay it back. And it was a fun day, you know. Yeah. I, <laughs> when you cross that threshold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying this, there's a few things that stick out to me. First of all, I need to just, say this is the nerdy money part of me, but like, I so appreciate the clarity that you had on your numbers and like you and your husband sitting down and talking about it and agreeing on your timeline. And like, because I think that that makes it very tangible too, Mm -hmm. in terms of setting goals, right. Where it's like the tangibility of it, I think is really motivating because what I see a lot of folks do when they're starting either their private practice or their second thing, their launch or their, their scaled offer, their, their course they want to build on the side is when you don't have clarity on those numbers, there's just kind of this ambiguous, like, I'm spending a lot. And like, uh, am I going to make it back? And like, oh, do I have more to spend? And that ends up making it this very emotional kind of blurry experience. And what I'm hearing that you did is you were very clear, like, this is what we can afford. Okay. I went beyond that. And by going beyond that, this is exactly the timeline that we need, because this is what we can afford in terms of carrying this debt. Just like very clear, clear clear-minded in your relationship to these amounts. Yeah. I mean, it really had to be that way. And I think that tends to be how I function financially anyway. You know, I want to know exactly, you know, how long I have to pay it back, how much it's going to cost me. And I agree with you. And I think that I've seen many entrepreneurs and therapists in particular kind of continue to take on like, oh, I need this. And then I need that. And I, and there were certainly things even within that 40,000 that I would have liked to do right away where I said, no, this is our hard and fast number. We're not going to do that right now. That's going to take another year. I have to be profitable before I'm willing to put more money in. Yes. And that's exactly the second thing that stuck out to me is this time money equation, Mm -hmm. right? And like, I think this is a decision that as we're growing businesses, we're always making these decisions, whether or not we're naming them as such is it's like, for instance, I could take this course and learn how to do X, Y, Z from somebody who lives and breathes this topic, but it's going to cost me a thousand dollars or $750. Or I could take the time to try to like learn it and maybe read some books and like talk to people and kind of learn the skills more organically. I won't have spent a thousand dollars, but it might take me like nine months or a year or even two years to really feel like I like hammer down the skills. Right. And I think that There's endless things that we could pay people to do for us and to teach us. And any of those things we could also try to figure out on our own or to do ourselves. And what I think I'm hearing with you is a lot of ways there was a priority on making it happen faster. So you made these investments to 
accelerate the process for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And and the reason I know that to be true is now, you know, I'm a few years into this thing and I'm about to launch another two courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly since that initial course, I've launched a lot of other things, the workbooks and eBooks and mini courses and all sorts of other stuff. So now I've done it a few times and for the quality of product I like to put out, I know I can get out the door with 10,000 or below. Mm-hmm. Now, take into account my first time I went through it, I spent 40. There were many reasons why that was. One, it was my first time. One, you know, and I I don't know that I would have done it any differently. Now, yeah. because I've done it a few times, there's things I don't have to outsource. There's systems that I know how to use. There's programs I don't know how to use. So I don't have to pay someone to teach me how to do it in the same way. That's number one. And then number two, I've given myself more time. You know, I think the first time that I launched a course, I thought from this time I started filming it into the time I launched it, I gave myself three months. Mm -hmm. This time I gave myself a year. So I'm a little smarter, you know, I think (laughs) like, no, there's no way I'm going to do this in three months again, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think the second part to that is that I'm a mom. And so there's always this equation of when will I have more childcare? When will I not? I'm also, I've told Lindsay, I'm also pregnant. So it's like, Mm-hmm. I have to time out all of that. And so I think anytime you balance motherhood or parenthood with business, there's that relationship too of like, how much child's care do I have? I'm paying for that. How much time do I have before I'll have another child or not or or whatever? And and all that time and money go together, you know, with the child's care element too. So yeah, there's an equation there. I think that's constantly kind of evolving. And so for you then, Kelly, like having made a larger investment because of you want things to happen faster, you want things to be a certain way. So you invested quite a bit in your first course. How did you relate to that investment emotionally? Like what emotions went with that for you? You know, it was so scary. I have to be honest. Yeah. Like to me, $40,000 is not a little bit of money. That was how much I spent on my MFT degree, my master's degree, which nowadays sounds like not a lot of student debt, you know, I mean, programs are really expensive, but back when I went to school, that was exactly how much I took out as a loan for my master's degree. And, um, I think I took like 39,500 or something and had a full-time job during that time. So I was able to float some of it. But so to me thinking about the number 40,000 and just in terms of our own family and our, you know, it was a lot of money. And it required just so much belief in myself. I had to have some inclination that I knew I'd be able to, at the minimum, pay it back. And I did. You know, I knew I had a lot of experience in the area that I teach in. I I hadn't just like done it once by myself and then said, okay, well, now people replicate how I do it. I had done it for other companies. I'd done some consulting work for other companies. So I taught into master's programs. So I knew I knew how to teach it. And I knew I was a good teacher. So I knew enough to say to myself, like, okay, I know I can bank on myself as long as I suspend the fear long enough. As I got toward the launch on my first launch day, I made no sales, not one. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Now we have like, I don't know, 600 people or something in the, in that original course. But on day one, I sold no courses. And I remember thinking, God, it was like horrible day. It makes me want to cry. I remember thinking like at that point when I launched my course, I had about 11,000 Instagram followers. And I remember thinking at least a thousand are going to buy this course. Uh, <laughs> at least. <Yes>. You know? <laughs> and I 
really luckily had some really wonderful mentors and other therapist friends in the online space that said to me, they were like, Kelly, I think a conservative number would be 1% of your audience in the first year. And I was like, no way, like 1%, you know, but now at this point, my audience is about 45,000 and we've done about 600 courses in that original course. So we're a little above 1%, but not much. Yeah. Yeah. No, not much. It was a really good estimate. And now when I launch products and I make investments into different products, I use that number and I say, okay, if we were just going to sell 1% to 1% of this audience, how much do I, can I afford to spend on the creation of the product? Mm, Right. Yeah. And with you for that equation, like when you think about how much to spend on investing in something, thinking about the 1% of your audience, how much money are you trying to make above the investment? Like, like what makes it worth it for you? Cause it's not just paying back the, the cost of it. But also how much do you want to see yourself make to be like, that was worth it? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm not in this to like make no money. Right. So yeah, in that initial year, I thought like, okay, I want to like break a hundred in revenue. So I want to do 40,000 in debt, you know, get rid of the 40,000 in debt and then take home a hundred, which I did in that first year. So that was like, I launched, I like, let's say January, I launched the course in March and then I had to get to December, you know? So really in terms of, billing time, that's more like seven or eight months, you know, but yeah, you have to do all of that because it's not just that you can get out of debt, right? I'm a mom. I have a mortgage. I have kids to put through preschool, which is like basically the cost of my mortgage. Like (laughs) to break even in life is not the same thing as breaking even in just in terms of my cost. Yeah. So, and then also I was, I'm running, you know, I've run a private practice. I, I had to take time away from my other business to launch this business. And certainly for many weeks and months, there was a floating period. You know, it was a little crazy for a while. It wasn't like super balanced for a long time. Now it's a lot better. My schedule is better than it even was in private practice, you know, when seeing full-time one-to-one clients, but it took a minute to get there. Yeah. And you know what I'm, the way that I think about this and talk about this sometimes with students in money skills for therapists is like, it's an investment period, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, how do you manage an investment period emotionally? And also in terms of making those decisions, right? And something that I think is important as we're thinking about your course and like the money you invested, you did just say you had an Instagram audience of 11,000 people. That's also uh, a good reason to bet on yourself, yeah. right? Like I think if we're thinking strategically, it's like, yes, mindset wise, we need to believe in ourselves. We need to commit, you know, be like, I'm going to do what it takes. But also you had already taken strategic action beforehand that showed you like you already had a brand. Yeah. I and, I and I should say that and that you are so right, Lindsay. Like I think that was the best piece of advice I ever got. I had a few friends that were in the mom space, you know, the mom influencer space who had launched like very successful courses, way, you know, had just ridiculous audience sizes. And multiple people told me, well, first somebody told me you shouldn't launch until you have 5,000 followers. And I remember thinking like when I first opened my Instagram account, like, how am I going to get 5,000 followers? I mean, like, <laughs> why? like I have two, you know? Um, yeah. And I don't necessarily know that that's true. Right. I think mm-hmm. you know, depending yeah. on the product, especially if you have a high touch consulting, I don't think it has to be a certain number, but I knew that if I was going to take the risk, I needed some proof of concept. 
And for me, I decided that that proof of concept was going to be an Instagram audience. And so I didn't even start writing the course, building the course, trying to sell to my audience until I actually was at 10,000. Had I not reached 10,000, I would have waited a few months to launch it. Hmm. Right. At that time, part of the appeal of 10,000, and this is no longer the case on Instagram, is you got that swipe up feature. You know, oh yeah, I remember that. Thing, like yep. swipe up for this. We don't get that anymore. So at the time I was like, oh, I'm not gonna launch until I have that feature. And then it became more so the fact that I felt like the more of a following I built, the more I knew what the audience I was actually going to sell to needed. Mm-hmm. So the product yes. that I might have designed at two followers was going to be really different than the product I designed at 5,000. Yeah. At 10,000 now at 40 something thousand, I'm much more clear on what my audience wants. So we're going to redo the course and do a lot more. And then everyone who's already bought mm-hmm. it will get the, the same updated version again, you know, included, you know, I think when therapists come to me and they say, you know, I really want to launch this online course, but I haven't built a following yet. You know, you can build a following and not spend any money doing it. Instagram is free, mm-hmm. you know? And so I always tell people like spend time really getting to know the people you're going to sell a product to and nobody, and it also, you know, I think shows that you're willing to stick with it because if you're posting reels, posting whatever, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or a podcast, you realize there's like a lot of just background work that you're not getting paid for. So if you really want to be doing that and serving the people that you want to sell to one day, you'll continue doing it and you'll work at building an audience prior. If you're not willing to put in the time to build an audience, then, and you spend $40,000 to launch a course and you get crickets. I mean, I had a big audience and I got crickets on day one. Now the launch went way, what better later on. But if I had had (laughs) no followers, like I can't imagine. And I've seen people do that where they've launched a course and they're like, why isn't anyone buying this? And then I'll say, well, who, who, yeah, who is expecting it? to buy? Yes. You know? Yeah. And I, you know, that is, um, you know, for folks listening, I will also say Instagram is one way to do that. You, Kelly, are amazing on Instagram. You've built a huge audience. How, what's your, what's your follower count now? 43 something. Okay. But 43. ask me how many followers I have on YouTube and it's a hundred. Okay. No? <laughs> We've all got Follow me thing. on YouTube, please. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Together, we can double your follower count. If uh, 100 folks just jump over now, if you're listening, go follow Kelly on YouTube. Yeah. And we all have our thing, right? So like, you know, you mentioned the like the 5,000 thing, don't sell until yeah. you, Kelly, like I hit 5,000 followers like two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. So, right? everyone- on, so it's like, but I've been running an online business successfully for four years. So, you know, but, you know, I will say when I first sold my course, I sold it through email and I had an email list of 600 people. So it's like much smaller number, but emails higher touch at that time too. It was easier to sell on email. There were less people in the space, Um, but it's like, yeah, you need someone to sell to when you're going to build something. You need an audience somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. It doesn't have Um, to be. Even if it's your local network and you have a really great, like, you know, high profile in your local community, you need to have a, you know, name recognition somewhere so that people know that you're selling and they're, you know, you've got their attention somewhere. And I think that's such an important piece as we talk about financial risk, because I think sometimes there is this mentality of like, well, there's two mentalities. One is the more you put into it, the more you put get out of it. The other one is like bootstrap it, don't spend anything, figure it all out yourself. Don't spend money on these like, 
you know, uh, what one of my colleagues just contacted me the other day about a course that we're both in together. And she's like, I thought it was a scam at first. Like, I wasn't sure. I was like, it's not a scam. Like, there's lots of amazing courses out there, but it's like, you know, easy to be skeptical. And I think that first school of thought, the like, the more you spend, the more you get out of it. I'm curious your your thoughts on that mentality, given that you invested quite a bit in yours. What do you think about that kind of type of thinking about investing? That's a good question. You know, I would say I tend to be a DIY person. So for example, when it came to my private practice, it was like I DIY'd my own website. I thrifted all the furniture for my first office. You know, I mean, it was like, but I felt really confident in my ability to do so. Do you know what I mean? Like I knew I could make a good website for my private practice. I knew. And when I went to move into the online space, I was really aware that I wasn't an expert Mm, Yeah, and that there were questions that I didn't even know to ask the question. Do you know what I mean? Like as a therapist starting a private practice, I'd had a ton of training. I'd spent five years at a marketing, you know, as a marketing person for another practice, I learned on the job, but I, it wasn't like I worked for an online course business or I worked for something where I learned on the job. So going from very little knowledge to a course launch in four months, um, I knew that there were pitfalls that I couldn't even see, you know? And for that reason, I felt like I'm investing in the knowledge of other professionals. And I think that that regardless of whether I'm investing my time, you know, which I think that's one, you know, you bootstrap it and you're investing your time in learning from people so you can do it, or you're investing your money and they're going to help me do this. And ideally, I'm going to learn along the way, but I don't always, you know, like I'm still my email funnels, man. I like I'm, I still ask for help on those. But uh, I think either way, it's an investment. Right. You're investing time or you're investing money. Yeah. What comes to mind for me, too, with that first the first school of thought, the like the more you invest, the more you make is it does need to be strategic investments. Oh, 100%. Right. And you need to be able to look and say, OK, based on these factors, based on my audience size, based on the interviews, like before I made Money Skills for Therapists, actually before I even started offering any financial services to therapists, like any coaching, I did like eight information interviews with people, like really like, and and some of those people are like people who are my friends still today, you know, but like I met them at like a training together and I was like, tell me about your relationship with money. Like I really drilled into those ideal people so that before, again, what I might've made would have been different if I hadn't had those conversations, right? And if I hadn't like put things out there and been getting feedback on those things, I wouldn't have been able to make the right thing if I had not actually kind of immersed myself in my audience. But I think what I what I want to make clear for folks listening, at least my perspective is you can't skip that step, yeah, right? You can't just spend money. No, there are some steps where you can't skip it. You can't skip it. I believe if you're not an expert in the material that you're teaching and you don't really know the pain points and the struggles and the solutions to the people you're going to teach it to, you can't just hire someone to do that. You no. know, especially, no. especially if yeah. you're going to base the business around your knowledge, you know, because then you're mm-hmm. just selling, I don't know, you know what? Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And so I think, you know, something that I encourage folks to think about is return on investment. Like when you are making an investment, think about, first of all, right thing, right time. Is this the right thing for you? Is this actually what you need? Do you actually have the bandwidth 
to take it on and fulfill it because there's lots of amazing courses. But if you don't actually do them, yeah, you're not going to get the results from I them. I have a couple of those courses. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure I have some of those too, you know, that were never touched. It's basically like a book on the shelf that you never read. But then the other thing is, is putting into that context of like, is this the right thing in this stage of my business growth? Am I trying to skip steps? Because you can't actually pay to skip no, steps. You can't in, in your business, Absolutely. whether that's private practice growth, whether that's, you know, online business growth, there's some things that you just have to go through. So Kelly, I'm curious then for you, first of all, I do really appreciate to go back just a little bit. I really appreciate you talking about how scary it was. Yeah to make the investment and those early days of launching, launching, you know, and, and I've had had Annie Schusler on the podcast last season, we chatted about launching like it is, it's not fun. Uh, emotionally. I hate a lot. I, hate a lot. <laughs> I, hate, I even hate the word. I think the, the only folks I know who really seem to like launching are people who are like, really, really high extrovert, really high, like stimulation seeking, because it is intense. So if like really intense things make you feel calm, you're going to like launch. Oh, 100%. Otherwise, like, yeah, it's, it's stressful. Right. So there's that, yeah, that you you're betting on yourself and then you're kind of waiting to see if you did it right. Or if you're doing it right. And if it's going to come back, I appreciate you saying that. Cause I think that's a good reality check. Cause sometimes like when we watch somebody else, like when we see their business, yeah, like, I've, I watched, I've had friends I did say this 300 sales in day one. And you're yeah. Like, oh yeah. There's that too. Yeah. And I was going to say too, from the outside, I think you're, it always seems like somebody's business is going well. Rarely are they going to like go on their Instagram or write an email being like, it's dark days here, guys. I haven't had a sale in three months. But for you, thinking about that 40000 you spent, first of all, I'm curious, what was in that $40,000? My two biggest expenses were, number one, trademarking. I hired an attorney to do, and that cost me, well, actually, it wasn't my biggest expense, but it was an expensive one. It was like $2,500. Um, shooting the course ended up costing me about 9000 at the door. Part of that was because... I did it in a hotel. I like, I didn't do it at home. I have a toddler and it was COVID and it, you know, there's just no way. So I did it in a really nice space. Um, I hired yeah. a professional video team, editing team, all that. So that was one of my bigger ones. I could not use my private practice website. You know, I like, I was using Squarespace at the time. I switched into a, a platform called Kajabi, which I've actually switched away from, but, and I liked Kajabi. That's a whole nother episode on why I did that. So I needed to hire somebody to build me a new website. I knew I could build it in Kajabi. And actually, I like to joke with my website editor because I called him and I was like, can I just pay for like three or four hours of your time to just teach me how to use Kajabi and then I'll build the website. And, you know, that was like a good idea. But in the end, it wasn't going to get done in the timeline I wanted it to get in. So I ended up hiring him to do that. And I can't remember how much I, I want to say I spent around 7000 on that. And then trademarking and then shooting the course. What else? Oh, I spent a lot on ads. I bought a lot of Instagram ads. I knew, well, I don't know if I knew, but I do know now that for me, I think I'm pretty good at converting people who find me into buying for me. So I was willing to spend money on ads. So I spent probably another five or 6,000 on ads over the course of a year. And then I needed some gear to film. So I bought like a nice camera, even though I've had it professionally filmed, there was just supplemental things that needed to be filmed that I filmed from home. I had to start a new company. So originally I thought that I could run my consulting and online course business through my private practice. I'd had a, a mm -hmm. private practice business and very quickly, my attorney who did my trademarking was like, no, you need a 
completely separate S corp. So then, you know, I spent four or 5,000 setting up a new S corp doing, you know, again, I could have done it for significantly less than I did it for, but I hired an attorney to do all the paperwork. You know, I just like went through it pretty quickly to make sure it was really clean and separate from my, and that includes like, you know, at that point I had to pay 2,500 to pay for my taxes for that year for that S corp. Yes. I don't just mean just the course, but I mean the launch of the course, which also meant the launch of a business. Yeah. You really set up everything. And also you made investments on like, I'm sure the camera, hopefully you still have it and you can still use it. And those kinds of things that are like those long-term startup costs, you paid for it then, but we'll continue using it. Exactly. Like for example, trademarking. I didn't have to trademark at that Mm -hmm. point in time. So I could have never spent that 2,500, but I, I very early on had heard a story about a friend of a friend who had started a company, branded, built a huge Instagram following. And then the same name was used by like an adult industry thing. And they had to, but like they had to redo all their SEO. And I knew that that 2,500 would save me money down the road. If I had to rebrand, I was going to spend money on my search engine optimization. I was already, I knew at the point that I was making this investment that I was going, growing pretty quickly on Instagram and that rebranding my Instagram would cost me money. So at that point I was like, no, I need to spend the money on trademarking even though at this point in time, do I want to spend $2,500 on something that feels to me like a piece of paper, which it isn't <laughs> I'm owning my brand. But I was like, you've got yes. to be kidding me, you know, out of this precious yeah. like investment nest egg, I'm going to spend 2,500 of that to trademark something, you know, and it takes a long time in the States. A trademark comes back in eight months to a year. Oh, wow. I just okay. like, yeah. it was even slower than that. And I just finished wrapping mine up. And it's been two mm-hmm. years. We had some like back and forth with other companies and things, which again, I had to pay my attorney for, but now I like own my brand, which is very valuable. Yeah. I don't want an adult film private practice pro to come out and then I have to, you know, <laughs> like a different name. But anyway, it seems tired, like not very likely, but not impossible. No, can you believe on like I have a podcast and that's the first episode of my next season is talking, is talking to the person that happened. Oh yeah. Who went through that? Yeah. 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 Cause what I'm hearing is like that 40,000 for you, it really was foundation building. It wasn't just making a course. It was, it was making a course with polish. Like I'm sure, you know, my, my course money skills for therapists, which is still my main course. I shot myself. Sometimes the camera angle is weird. Sometimes I'm like, that was a weird choice I made that day, but the content stands up and has continued to stand up. And, you know, and like 450 people have gone through the course so far. So it's like, we, we make decisions. I think of like, again, that time money equation, the, like what feels important at the moment where we want polish and where we're willing to DIY. And that's going to be different for everybody based on like our circumstances and our energy and like what's important to us as well. And I don't think I'll ever professionally shoot a course again. I'm literally yeah. after we hang up today, I'm going to shoot video for my next course and I will shoot mm-hmm. it from home now, you know, because I realized, yeah. did I need to spend that 9,000? Like, could I buy a beautiful camera and pay an editor? So like now in my next course, you know, just the filming won't cost me anything because I'll film it, but then I'll pay my editor about mm-hmm. like 2,500 to edit the whole thing. It's a lot less than 9,000. So, yes. you know, yes. but yes. you live and you learn. And we all have our own thing, right? So like, I, I think would rather get hit by a truck than make a website. Yeah. I hate making websites passionately for some reason. Doesn't make sense, but I really dislike it, but I like doing my own film editing. Really? So I edit my own videos. Oh God, I'm yeah. the exact opposite. I would make a website <laughs> any day of the week. Yeah. I hate 
editing. I hate even like right. sitting down and working the camera. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah. So team. we all have our thing, right? Totally that, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. would be. We would be a good team. I am curious. I, I have one more question for you about investing. What is the best investment you've made in your business financially? This is a good question. You know, okay, so this is apart from the launch initially. And I should say, you know, caveat to the launch thing. I actually don't do live launches now anymore. I felt like it didn't align with my values. And even though I think I could sell more if I did it in that model, mm-hmm. that's not who I am as a person. So that could be a whole nother episode about launching. Anyway, in about a year into my course, we were cranking. We'd had you know, about 500 or so people in the course. And I was still at the point where I was running the company by myself, meaning mm-hmm. handling like all, you know, when you run a course, there's questions, there's Facebook groups, there's emails, there's technical, I can't log into this. I need help with this. All of that kind of stuff I was doing. And I was still in my original platform. And mm-hmm. at that point, I decided to bring on a subcontractor to do a few things. One, to help me rebrand my website. And to two, to help me move platforms to a different... I decided to move to Thrivecart. And that decision was not something at the time that I needed to do. I could have very easily stayed in the platform I was in, stayed with the website. I, it was beautiful. And I'd really been open less than a year. And so... At the time, you know, I had just like had a profitable year and I was like, oh no, like I'm going to, I'm going to make another investment. But I was aware, this was about a year ago now, number one, that I wanted to have another baby. And number two, that the reason that I got into this business was to have more time with my family. And so in order to do that, I had to streamline my process much more. And I needed a platform that was much more automated. I needed a team that could run my website without me. And so I decided to make that investment. And it was all behind the scenes. Like none of it made new product. We've subsequently made new product and it's been great. And I love that. But at the beginning, the decision to hire a couple team members was terrifying because I knew I could do it all technically, but I couldn't do it all and stay within my values of being the mom I wanted to be. And so that was the best investment. And since bringing them on, we've been way, I'm convinced that like, we've been more profitable than had I, had I continued to DIY it, I wouldn't have created new products. They wouldn't because I didn't have the time mm-hmm. so it freed me yes. up to be more creative. Yeah. And that's, I think that's great for folks who are listening, who are thinking about making a hire to hear. Cause you know, sometimes I'll, you know, often actually I'll hear therapists even hesitating around like hiring a VA for a couple hours a week. And it's like, cause I could do that. I could, I can answer the emails. Like I can, you know, whatever little tasks we want to do, post my blogs to my website. But what you're saying, I think really gets to the the core of the value of having help is like, you, you are reclaiming your time and your bandwidth. You know, you're allowing yourself to use that however you want, whether that's making new things you know, offering new things in your business or whether it's reclaiming time for your life. And time is very, very valuable. I think for myself as a young mom in my thirties with young kids, being pregnant, having a toddler, time is my absolute most valuable, most limited commodity. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I am willing to pay more to get that and make less. Now that obviously comes with a certain amount of privilege because 
I am willing to make less, you know, but it also means that I make some financial decisions where I'm like, yeah, we could have more money, but I wouldn't be able to pick my son up from school, you know, or that he still goes to daycare. Let's be really clear. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, like I'm done by two o'clock every day. Oh, nice. And in my previous life of full-time private practice where I was seeing 20 to 30 clients a week, I was never done by two. I mean, I was done by seven mm-hmm. or eight every night. And I love that. And then I've made the same decision in my own business. I've been reflecting recently about how I could really get paid like a lot more in my business, like a lot more than I get paid. But every time I think about taking the tasks that different team members do onto my own plate, I'm like, first of all, hell no, I don't want to do their job. But secondly, it's like, for me, I think about, I, I like to distinguish to even beyond time. It's like bandwidth, like how much are we frying ourselves during the day? Because it's also for me about like how I'm able to show up with my son or the other people in my life that I love. And I could cram some more tasks into my actual day and maybe still finish at the same time, but I'm going to be tired, right? I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to have that energy to like this morning by some miracle, my son and I both got amazing sleeps and woke up at 630 in great moods and had this great morning together. And like, it was a miracle. It was was a true miracle. And he was talking about breakdancing. So I was like, well, I'll show you a breakdancing video. So we watched a breakdancing video and then he wanted to set up a breakdancing pad. So we went down to the basement. I set up like, there was like a little pad down there that we already had. And like, he did some breakdancing moves. And like that for me, like that's about quality of time spent because I'm rested. I'm attentive. Like I'm not distracted or stressed by something. And like that to me, I know is, is my top priority and my top value. And if my business is interfering with that, then like we have a problem. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, you know, Lindsay, I got to see it. You got to take up breakdancing. I, I think <laughs> we need like a viral Instagram reel of you breakdancing. <laughs> That is so far from what is possible in this dimension, but thank you so much. I would do probably a hundred things before I would do breakdancing, but my son, on the other hand, does a lot of breakdancing moves already, which is why I was like, you're breakdancing. And he was like, what's breakdancing? Like he kind of like does like the worm and stuff. So anyways, he must've learned it at preschool. It's super cute. That is hilarious. Yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast today, um, talking about your experiences with investing and risk. If folks want to get further into your world, where can they find you and follow you? Yeah. So I'm obviously on Instagram at the private practice pro. Same thing for my website, the private practice pro.com. I'm venturing my uh, feet into all the other platforms and TikTok and YouTube. Follow me on YouTube. They're all the same name, the private practice pro. So um, yeah. Thank you for having awesome. me. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kelly. From my conversation with Kelly, something that I really took away and that really stuck out is what we each spend money on in our businesses and what's worth it for us at certain times is going to be different for everybody. I think it would be hard to argue that there's very many things that everybody needs to you know, make a major investment uh, to have it happen. I guess there are certain things like lawyers that you, you can't really DIY your own trademarking or whatever. But even when Kelly's talking about trademarking, I don't have a trademark on what I do. I should. I should go out and do that. I haven't done that yet, right? And and I'm so far, knock on wood, doing just fine, right? And so we're all going to have different things that feel important or that given our circumstances are important to spend money on. And those are going to look different 
for each of us, uh, depending on where we are in our business, what our needs are, what we're good at and what we like. Like I was saying, I like video editing. Kelly hates it. She's going to make her own websites. I'm never going to do that. I have somebody on my team who does that for us. So really connecting with yourself and thinking about what is worth it for you to spend money on, either because of where you are strategically in your business or things that you're just never going to do yourself and you're never going to be good at and the emotional pain of it is worth spending money on versus what is worth taking the time to do yourself, either because like we talked about, some things you can't rush, like you can't rush, for instance, your audience research. Um, as you're trying to figure out a niche and figure out your language, like that is a process that has to happen through like communicating with the people you want to serve, gleaning things from the clients that you're seeing to start to understand who's your niche. Those are things that take time. I don't think you can really pay to cut corners on those kinds of things, uh, but other things you certainly can do yourself. And it's up to each of us to make strategic decisions as to where we want to spend our money in our businesses and where we would rather do things with our time instead, which is also a valuable resource. I really appreciate Kelly coming on the podcast today. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at Money Nuts and Bolts. Like I shared with Kelly, uh, we've just passed 5,000 followers, which is a very cute little number compared to her followers, but we're very happy to have 5,000 folks joining us on Instagram to have these conversations. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please jump over to Apple Podcasts leave me a review. I've said it before because it's true. It is the best way for people to find the podcast. Thanks for listening today. <laughs>